podcast friday my name is okay and this is the okay show podcast if today is your first time of joining us welcome on this podcast it's all about society themed issues and i hope you stay with us by choosing to subscribe and also taking out time after listening to this episode to go through all of our published episodes and enjoy yourself our aim over here is to inform to educate and certainly to entertain now on today's episode of the podcast we are going to be discussing police brutality if you have been following news coming out of international media for the past 48 hours you would see that americans are protesting the killing of george floyd who was killed by a cop while they were trying to arrest him and all of that and it's been really crazy been protests in Minnesota, they've been stealing and looting and all of that. But let's bring it down here to Nigeria where people have suffered in the hands of the Nigerian police force, traders, taxi drivers, and the youth, especially in the hands of FSAS as the Federal Special Anti-Robbery Squad Unit of the Nigerian Police. Before I go into that proper I want to talk a little a little bit about the nigerian police and how it came to be prior to the advent of colonialism the policing in each fragmented geographical territory which eventually constituted nigerian territory was peculiar and without the application of excessive violence in Igbo land, the age grade constituted the institution shadowed with the maintenance of law and order in the community Vocational guides such as hunters and farmers were primarily responsible for crime controls in the Yoruba Empire, while the Alsa Emirates centralized political system placed internal security affairs in Dugari's custody, who Dugari as a police head, who in turn selected able-bodied men as law enforcement agents. Now, during the colonialism, the colonial masters established local decentralized police forces. Okay. During colonialism, the colonial masters established local decentralized police forces. This led to the creation of the police in Lagos in 1861. Subsequently formed constabularies also placed the Northern and Southern Protectorate. The basic function of the police during the colonial period was to aggressively suppress and repress any and all activities that were deemed anti-ethical to the goals of the colonial period. Police activities at the time helped to extend and strengthen colonial domination in Nigeria and such activities which were subjugated or quelled by using excessive force by the Nigerian police in the colonial period were the Ebba crisis in 1918, the Worry crisis, Worry riots in 1927, and then the Abba women's riots in 1929 were all met with subjugation from the then police. The use of violence marked a dislocation between the police and the local community, which has characterized law enforcement practices by the police in Nigeria. Today, the police see the use of lethal force and brutality as hallmark of their profession. 
Hence, the police in Nigeria have betrayed their responsibility to protect the public and now branded for brutality, corruption, exploitation, and extrajudicial killings. This brief history of the Nigerian police was called from the International Journal of Social Sciences. Today, we are going to be, again, like I said earlier, police brutality and we're going to know what police brutality is what fuels police brutality is it corruption has it always been this way since nigerian gained independence or did things just get worse as we you know grew older and older as a country also should what does the law what is the law's position on police brutality and offense officers who have been found you know, guilty of perpetrating violence on civilians and all of that. We're going to look at all of that today. And my guest on the podcast is Ayobami. You can find him on Twitter at Don Dekojo. He's a social commentator on issues like this. Like his knowledge is vast and he's very politically inclined. So I have him on the show today to talk about police brutality i'm going to go live with him right now yes <laughs> coronavirus social distances i'm going to go live with him to record this episode and i hope you really really enjoy it so stick with us can you tell, huh? us, can you tell us what police brutality is oh um um, basically, it's um, the treatment of civilians in police-civilian um, relationship, uh, the way police handle issues, and um, how it goes to the extreme sometimes, where they clamp down on civilians, they deny um, civilians of their rights. They um, it all stems from the culture of corruption, and uh, they use brute force or hard force to. Um, to mediate simple civil issues so basically that's that's where that comes from okay so you you mentioned um corruption just now if yeah. corruption is the only thing that fuels police brutality or are there other factors um there are several other factors um from training um, to um, mental health assessment, to um, lack of respect for the rule of law, because at the end of the day, it's a civil rights violation. So when you don't um, punish previous offenders, it, it continues to go on. So training of police officers in Nigeria, it's, it's like a war zone where you give um, secondary school dropouts or secondary, sorry, uh, secondary school graduates. Um, a machine gun, make it for seven just to roam around the streets. Uh, uh, when they have access to this type of unbridled power, it, it, it makes them become larger than life, and that's one of the factors. So it's just not, it's not just corruption. Corruption fuels it because at the end of the day, um, in the recruitment, which is another problem that we have in the recruitment uh, process, we tend to go for yeah. like the lowest uh, caliber of people to join the police force. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so more on that corruption. I, I was reading an article where I saw that in 2005 that the former Inspector General of Police, Tafa Balogun, 
was accused yeah. of embezzling and invo- being involved in bribes of yeah. over ninety-eight million dollars after two thousand and five yes. police funds. And then also um, the political aspect of it, where um, public officials or the pol- um, position of IGP is mostly political and stuff. So yeah. all of this comes together to, well, um, police brutality. Definitely, it's, it's a big part of it because it's institutional. When you look at the fact that um, some of these, uh, for, when you look at it from top down, uh, the people okay. that get to this very top that become the Tafavalo Bones and uh, Michael Kuros and whatever um, IG, they start from very, they start from DPOs and all sorts. And when you are a DPO, sometimes you hear that they have um, like a target, it's, it's, it's like a brand, a bank branch where you have a target for the week maybe it's, uh, it's five million or two million how will you bring in and all of that to bring in exactly like the station itself there are reports of that in in several um investigative journalism reports that we've read where several police stations have some money that they have to bring in not for, for the government of course but for their bosses so it goes to the very top the money that they are collecting on the streets they are there because they give it to somebody that shares it and that person gives it to another person at the end of the day if you have a normal case they will tell you that oh okay. before you can close the file you have to give the dpo some money i mean this is just talking about the institutional corruption now uh, and I'm it is one of the reasons <laughs> yeah can you are you there hello yeah i'm here yeah um so this is just um on the institutional corruption level now how it relates with uh, police brutality is, is now where you have um, offenders not being punished because even their bosses were like that when they were on a, on the lower rank so it becomes institutional and they expect um, some sort of money or patronage from these people because they are the ones that send them out to do some of these things that you know goes left way or goes another way and then you, you bosses have to defend them because they were not on on their own to do to you know commit civil rights violations anyway maybe some rich person somewhere tells them to go and arrest somebody that owe them money or something so you know that oh there is somebody high up behind this so when those um, boys commit some sort of um, civil rights violation that w- hello hello okay can't hear you anymore hello, hello yeah can you hear you now okay i said um during colonialism as in pre-independence yeah. the use of the police force in enforcing law and order mm-hmm. was in the discharge of um they employed the use of force in discharge of the abuses yeah. and and certain um instances were was the eba crisis yeah. in 1918 mm-hmm. the 1927 worry riots the above women's riots yeah. in 1929 were all met with subjugation from the Nigerian yeah. police. So my question is, is the pre-independent use of the police in enforcing law and order a reason why 
these things are still prevalent it's it's, it is definitely one of the reasons because it, it brought about that culture um where okay. in, in police civil relations the police feel like they can use excessive force it's one of the reasons uh, an example is when um, the colonials came into the then um yoruba um, kingdom they, they were fighting on all fronts with um Ibadan trying to establish okay. an empire among like the, the Kitty states and all but when they wanted to quell it and force them to sign treaties it was the Aousa force which was a police force made of Aousa people that they had already mm. conquered that they used to you know enforce the signing so the, the way that even the civilians looked at the police then was some sort of occupation army as it were because that is what the police was used for it was not just to mediate in civil issues or just to police an environment or just to have um a sort of vigilante protection it was an occupation force okay. at that point with the colonial masters it was yeah. an occupation force so post independence the first set of politicians that we had you know there were riots and people not believing election results and no in the southwest we had and uh, what we yeah. called operation wet here and that was how the police was used as well as some sort of um um peacekeeping occupation force it, it, it became cultural for the police to then see themselves that's why when you travel elsewhere you don't see policemen just going on with um ak-47 rifles it's not a war zone but in nigeria you see a random person um not a pistol not um, a stick or something they are carrying rifles on the road so yes um i won't say uh, it's because of pre-independence um type policing but it's one maybe it's the, there is there is a 20 to 30 percent contribution to that culture but it's definitely not just the okay. reason. But there is there's a contribution to that culture where the police feel like they are more than just policemen that should work for the public, but they are just that they're, they're like an occupation force of what to say. Okay. Um so is that supposed to be like um has it is it has it gotten bad? Because I can't remember growing up maybe during OBJ or Dora um, for as long as I could you know tell myself that oh I have little knowledge of Nigerian politics yeah. or what is going on As in, I can't I can't say it has always been this bad but has it always been this bad or is it getting more media coverage or this is the it just gets worse with each passing year i think it has always been this bad um the problem now is or why we think it's worse now is uh, media coverage the use of social media to actually record some of the activities you know before it was always reported speech he said she said i saw nobody saw anything or something like that but now you can actually have a video recording somebody gets shot there's a picture of the person unlike a newspaper report that you just read that oh police killed five people here and you and you're not sure but it's different when you now have graphic images of the five people uh, like recently they killed a footballer you yeah. know you, you um, a young man trying to play football and um 
go to the next level, so to say, and then he gets killed, yeah, gets gone down by policemen in Ogun State. Exactly. So what you you get to see pictures of of the man, you get to see pictures of his family, you get to see pictures of videos from his burial. So he it incites people more to realize that oh we have a problem here. It has always been like that, so to say. Well, maybe it's increasing a bit, and um, the point that increased was is not now. It was during the prevalence of what we, when we used to have executive robbers like the Aninis and Co, and we had to clamp down on them. It was the military area we had to clamp down on them, and one of the reasons that okay. um, the Nigerian government failed to use them was to um, not only uh, make armed robbery a capital offense they were doing executions okay. in public like you could literally go and watch somebody get shot at the beach so from then they created uh, a SARS which is one of the biggest problems we have now especially at robbery squad okay. and you know give them more sophisticated weapons and some sort of leeway that makes them feel that they are above the law because they are supposed to go after people that um, Nigerians are afraid of and what usually happens in this case like with the war against the discipline brigade is when Nigerians are afraid or of a particular thing it's just like if they set up a unit now to go after SARS officers Nigerians yeah. would welcome it mm. because we are afraid of SARS officers so while we were afraid of armed robbers we felt it was a welcome decision to give some people this leeway the problem then is fight yeah, yeah af- after that stage of things armed robbery went down and people believed it was because of the new uh robbery squad but several economic reasons came in you know people no longer needed to uh, move with a lot of cash you can pay your uh, members of staff without before companies used to move money with bullion vans if you read stories yeah. of Anini and Cody, they were attacking bullion vans because a certain company A wants to pay their staff last day of the month, then they just go and attack them on the road with some insider information. But now there's electronic transfer. If you tap anybody on the road now, they don't have 10,000 around them. If you go into anybody's house, you can't find mm-hmm. a billionaire. It's just not happening because every all the money is in bank now. You okay. can send millions of naira from it. So these things reduced and because the incentives have gone down. Yeah. But people attributed it to the anti-robbery squad at that point and then gave them more confidence okay. to you know go out and attack young people and they became judgery and executioner they see you on the road you have uh dreadlocks and then they start asking too many questions they are beating you for some money so it it, it became very bad but i i think the the increase in it must have been like five ten percent it has always been like that but there is more exposure now due to social media okay and somehow even with the advent of social media and all of that it's still it's still not getting better it's not if anything it's getting worse even though they are getting filmed and stuff just yesterday an IG content creator Google's by the at IOD creator yeah. also went live on Instagram mm-hmm. to show him being harassed by the police and yeah. stuff. And I know that after 24, 48 hours, it swept under the carpet. Nobody would receive punishment. Yeah. Nothing would happen. So what does the law say or what does the constitution say about 
police brutality? Is there any part of the constitution that says that, oh, these policemen that engage in such activities or such heinous crimes or extrajudicial killings, is there any place or any part of the law that says they should be dismissed and jailed? Um, thing is, um, definitely brutality is a civil rights violation. So the constitution itself is against that. The police act itself is against okay. that, which is what the policemen are supposed to abide by. Um, we are pushing the all. There are several um, civil rights organizations pushing um, police reform bills. Um, um, a gentleman, Shegun okay. has started an NSAS uh, movement on social media. He was able to, you know, um, yeah. get some people off um, detention and things like that. See, uh, the problem is. Um, a one-man heroic thing while it should be praised is not institutional yeah there is a mm-hmm. problem when you know you need to have access to so 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 uh, this particular person to then um, get off when it's supposed to be institutional even for people that cannot afford a phone or whatever or what have you uh so we are not really enforcing laws and the police that should be enforcing the law they are the ones now breaking it and it becomes a problem because um, some of their colleagues don't even want to charge them. The state prosecutors, are, some of them work with the state CID, so nobody's charging a police officer unless there's like maximum pressure from, from on the government itself, and then the government decides to do it. But you are getting a lawyer from state CID to charge um, a police officer. It's just we are just you know making a joke of everything. It's never happening. Uh, they will just um, drop it at some point in time. So there is an institutional problem. And then we, the and also you're you're asking why despite uh, despite uh, the fact that the social media exposure is still going on, it's because there's a detachment between yeah. social media and real life in a place that yeah. a big detachment. Um, a lot of young people are on social media, and so after we made a lot of noise. Sorry, um, um it went blank <laughs> on this end. I think oh, it's okay. reception. Okay, you were saying something about a detachment in reality between social media. Oh yeah, I said there's a detachment between social media and um, reality in in a place like Nigeria because a lot of young people are on social media and we generate conversations and try to create these topics. But the people we are trying to address, the people in government and the lawmakers, I know they are mostly from the older generation. So at most there is something on WhatsApp in like a day or two after we've made a lot of noise, and there is they it's so hard for them for people that have been, that have been in this type of bureaucratic environment where you know somebody has to send a file from somewhere to make these decisions. It's just it's not as easy as you think it can be done on social media. They are they are expecting a lawyer from the, I mean, a letter from the president to. Um, via the SSG down to the vice president, then the IG of police does something, then there's a memo on it, then there's a date, the file goes the up and down. Is too much. So the, the, that culture yeah. itself, yeah, it's too much. So and that's that's the culture that the people that we are trying to address are used to. So when you say you want you need police reform, now you go to the House of Representatives, you get a friendly lawmaker, they introduce a bill, it goes through first reading. Then weeks time second reading. Then they say they want to do public um, discussion on it. They, that's you are, you are talking several months now before it gets harmonized in the Senate. Then you, you now need the president to assent on the bill. It's this is you are talking a year or two now. 
it's very tough. The laws that we have already can act or can deter policemen from doing these things, but we are not enforcing them because of the institutional problem we have and the fact that Nigerians also um maybe it's maybe because democracy is a bit young here our civil our civic education okay. is lacking Nigerians also do not have too many problems with police brutality with police brutality except sometimes. when they are on the receiving end yeah because it sure, is sure sure ex- exactly so it is the same people that arrest their neighbors or complain or make frivolous complaints to get somebody detained for days for days and months on end. So we have that type of attitude towards this thing. We we love oppression. We love being the ones doing the oppression. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So uh, several cultural things just uh, makes it like that. So have you ever encountered or been at the receiving end of police brutality in Nigeria? Um, yeah, definitely, definitely, yes, I think I have, I think I have, yes, yes, I have, um, nothing too big, it was solved fast, but, yeah, a few moments of, you know, um, bragging and all the noise, and no, you, you, it was, it was a very ugly encounter, but, yes, I've, I've, I've been at the receiving end before. And um, you can imagine how worse of it is for a lot of people to be at the receiving end. Alright, so doesn't this talking about the rule of law and all of that concerning police brutality? And you you've told us how how much how many steps one has to go through before police reform will be a thing. And I think I read somewhere where they've already had this discussion as that 2010 or 2015, and then there was these um, there were some solutions that were laid down for police reform and all of that. Mm-hmm. One of them being that they should depoliticize the position of the IGP, you know, and then turn it into a one-term, yeah. five-year something. So you come and go and not make mm-hmm. it seem like oh and then they need to reduce how many police officers or how many police officers are available to private use for private use because Nigeria yeah. has almost mm-hmm. two hundred thousand yeah. policemen being used privately. Mm-hmm. So do you think yeah. um these solutions that have been preferred can work? Yeah, I agree with um, the IG one. I know it's practically impossible, but I agree with it. I know it's impossible because in a place like Nigeria, <laughs> the president has too many powers and nobody is becoming inspector general police. <laughs> it, it just won't happen. It just won't happen in Nigeria. I, I, we, we can try to, um, you know, say different things and paint idealistic okay. pictures. Wait, it's never happened in Nigeria that the president will not be involved in the um, appointment or selection of the Inspector General of Police. It's not happening. I I hope it happens. One thing I think will will definitely help is if we um, decentralize or make the office of the prosecutor political now. Then there's an incentive 
for whoever the prosecutor of the general of the federation or for the states there is um, a because the only thing that people respect especially politicians is the next vote so now if you are in a state where you are voting for your yeah. general uh, and you have a lot of cases of police brutality he wants to prosecute a lot of policemen to yeah. make people happy because you know you are going to be voting for that other guy that he claims is not only tough on crime he's tough on enforcement okay. as well so nobody but in, in the current situation the president and the governors they appoint okay. the attorney generals i think if we have a situation where we we get to choose the attorney generals then they try to become popular by prosecuting you know the tough cases maybe there is a popular um company in, in town that um that they are shady dealing you know, yeah. you know sometimes you, are, you just hear this money laundering shady right? dealings. you just hear this that this particular company they are not tracing their not only money laundering not tracing their staff well no then there is some attorney general that writes on that on that wave or the court was on that company that oh i'm coming in to you know deal with these people and even police brutality in the states where you have a lot of cases of police brutality the person know that you know he must do this job so i will advocate for something like that where you make it uh you make us vote for attorney generals and also for for not only the federal one but for the states so when we do this people are incentivized to make sure that the attorney general is on the side of the people they can easily write petitions and threaten them that you know what it's fine you have two years in office you we are going to vote for another one very soon do whatever you want we'll vote for somebody that will prosecute policemen that kill people for us so we we don't just make noise or maybe we just don't record videos of policemen killing people we send this straight to the attorney general if he doesn't do something it's fine we are voting for somebody else all right so, but I think by the time we do this, definitely it it will solve some of the issues. And um, but for the IG not to be appointed by the president, I don't know how that will work. I know that's how it's supposed to work, but I think in in, in Nigeria's political climate, it's going to be tough. I agree with it. I just think it's going to be okay. tough. So, uh, so a lot of people have expressed reservations about regional policing as you know yeah. even though it's going to reduce police brutality and somehow give the nigerian police force or some kind of sanity or some sort of um yeah. positivity a lot of people have expressed reservations about what what are your thoughts on regional policing or state policing um I, I i support state policing and sometimes when i have these discussions with people and they say oh the governors will terrorize us and i wonder so you prefer the president terrorizing <laughs> everybody it doesn't make sense to me the governors can already terrorize you with everything within their powers it's the national police or the federal police that is arresting journalists for governors up and down so they, that, that's i think that should be the least of your worries my work my worries that somebody can sit down in abuja and send a new commissioner of police from Katsina to my state and the person does not and the new commissioner of police carries out the agenda of somebody that uh, that is not accountable to me i cannot um organize people to okay. elect a president but everybody can organize people to at least stop a state government governor yeah. somewhat because it's smaller you, you can say, oh, my ward or my local government, you're not winning it. I will organize people. It's, it's easier. But by the time you talk about presidency, there are too many factors involved. 
So the president cannot sit down in Abuja and say, oh, you know what? That state, I don't like the governor's face. Get me some tough policeman from um, Dotsi. Get me some guy from Chigawa and just go and disrupt everything he's doing in the state and make sure the police, the commissioner of police reports wow. only to me. Make sure he cuts off allegiance with the governor. And that happens already. So the governor will now need hundreds of millions of bribes for the new commissioner of police to at least, you know, have his audience and something like that. It doesn't make any sense. So when people say they don't like state police, I, I think they are not uh, looking at a lot of factors that we have already. It is easier for you to hold your governor accountable. Trust me. But with local media, I, I've been around governors at the state level before, and I know how politicians at the local level have. I, I shouldn't use the word afraid, but they they are concerned about local criticism, and this is why some get to arrest people because it is a small place. If some rogue local, local media has spread something, fifty percent of the state can get it by the next day, or maybe it gets said on radio. But you can't. We can't have this podcast, for example, now affect the president to be disturbed by it it's 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 just not possible he's he, he doesn't care about what they said you know, on some radio station in the because there are several hundred something the governments for him to want to worry about <laughs> but by the time you're in control right. of your state it's it's smaller it's easier for people to get to you and it's easier for them to hold you responsible so i don't think governors will just uh, I, in fact i would prefer my governor yeah. to go over me than for one man in Abuja to do one because I mean oh you are the guy right it's fine you will see the legacy you leave for your children mm-hmm. and all that but there are too many variables in selecting somebody for for uh, in Abuja and I I, I don't think anybody has power over that so I agree with state policing uh, policing is a local endeavor I don't I don't think somebody from um, Kapatan yeah. in Kaduna State can police Okeogu in Oyo is better than me. I think it should be about somebody, um, you know, one uncle from the area that already knows all the thugs in the area, knows all the drug dealers. I know, and you know, you 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 try to see foreign movies and you see when people do like drug interventions with drug dealers, you see them, they, they talk yeah, to them because they know them. school together. Yeah. So it's easier for you to, you know, say, ah, guys, what is going on here? Yeah, what is going on here? If you guys do this too much, we would have to bring you in. But somebody that that is coming from what from Taraba, you don't do anything. It's just it's ridiculous that policing that should be that is why the vigilantes and co they already work very well, and it's it's um, dishonest for people that say they don't like um, state policing because they they are protected yeah. by vigilantes in the area. That is local policing. That is essentially state policing. So you are not afraid of the vigilantes. And that is how intelligence gathering comes in. So when you have state police and the vigilantes are under them, there is there is a way for everybody to work together. So it's not just, oh, some random guy from Delta State comes into a state where some one million boys that you don't know their parents or you don't know where they come from, they are robbing the place and you think the person will be able to solve the crime. No! It's just impossible. So we need state police. We need local people to police local people so that we can have better results. So what is the way forward right now? Should is it is it is it the police structure that needs an overhauling or the Nigerian state as a whole needs to be restructured to you know actual federalism before we can talk about restructuring the police and you know having state police and all of that 
Yeah. Yes, I agree that the Nigerian state should be restructured. But one thing I've um, realized in all my own, at least my own personal um, journey of making noise for restructuring is that it won't be a solid okay. blow. It will be a million deaths for like the unitary states. For example, there are different things that we've done that is a step towards restructuring. We may not know it. We, I think, and these things will be happening right before us, and we'll still be saying, "Oh, restructure, restructure." When they gave 13% derivation to the Niger Delta states, I mean, it's not enough, but it was a form of restructuring. It is a form of uh, resource control to acknowledge that, oh, these people contribute yeah. more. So you, you can then ask for more, but that's a form of restructuring. When um, the Southwest were, when the Southwest governors were able to come up with a motepon, that's a form of restructuring as well. So it's going to be a thousand blows to the unitary states. One thing will not just happen one day, and people will say, "Oh, now we've given more power to the states." Um, look at COVID nineteen; now it's making states secure their own borders or attempt to themselves that's a form of structuring as well because now we can recognize that there are state borders that we want respect so um i think while the nigerian state itself needs to be restructured little things like the amotecons and the local security networks and all it's a their contribution contribution to that journey and it's it's also going to be um dishonest of us to discuss police brutality without talking about the okay. remuneration they, don't, they are not paid enough. They are not well paid enough. And this is one of the big factors for them to, brutality. you know, try to... Yeah, exactly. When, when you don't pay somebody enough, it's, it reduces their enthusiasm for the job and it makes them want to do, you know, different things to get that money. And obviously, you cannot attract the best brains when you don't pay the ones that you currently have enough. And that's one of the problems. Because if you are, if you are attracting well-educated university graduates, you are not going to have a lot of some or some of the cases that happen because some of them you just read the news and you're like ah now nah, this is just one stupid drunk policeman there's no way a normal educated person is doing this if you don't have like serious mental issues so for remuneration they need a better pay package they need a better pay package they need to recruit better they need to train them better they need to improve their welfare and in, uh, not just like appoint people and expect them to kit themselves, buy their boots themselves, and you know several things that you also hear from from this angle. It's it's unfair. So I, I uh, for the way forward, I think they, they need to be paid better. Remuneration as remuneration and welfare must be looked into. The Nigerian state should restructure. Then the police state should also restructure. But since the Nigerian state will not just restructure overnight, we should keep trying. To, you should keep. Uh, restructuring the police force and uh, one important thing that we should do is to continue asking for state police okay all right thank you very much for having this conversation with me yeah you're welcome <laughs> i really enjoyed it all right so yeah welcome okay. thank you very much thanks for having me you're welcome Why are you making noise, Clay? <laughs> Come to the end of today's episode of the podcast. Um, I hope you guys learned a thing or two. I hope you were informed, educated, and entertained all at once because that is always my goal on the podcast. So I'd love to hear from you. 
um, have you ever encountered police brutality? Have you ever been at the receiving end of police brutality? How did you handle it? What happened? I'd love to hear. You can send me a voice message anonymously if you wish, or you can actually send me a DM on Instagram or on Facebook or Twitter at the OK Show. The handle is at the OK Show. And um, I really hope the Nigerian government do something fast to reform the Nigerian police and because it definitely needs an overhaul if we are going to move forward from all of this stories of police brutality and all of that and also all the committees, all the people that have sat to discuss these reforms and preferred solutions, I hope these solutions are taken and implemented in the reform of the Nigerian police force. Also, guys, do not forget to share and like this podcast. Um, we reached a milestone last weekend, and I forgot to share that. But I'll tell you guys later. <laughs> so for now, stay fab, stay healthy, wash your hands properly, still continue observing social distancing wherever you are in the world, and um, do take care of yourself. Until next week, bye for now.